Welcome to the Broadcorp Report. This has been an exciting week. I am your moderator, Todd Walker. We are post-midterm elections, so I'm excited to hear what our two hosts, Michael Broadcorp and Becky Allery, have to say about uh, the races. So let's start with the probably the, uh, the most polarized race in the state of Minnesota, and that would be the governor's race. So, guys, what do we think uh, happened with the governor's race? And I want to hear a little bit about what you think, uh, you know, what walls this next term is going to look like. Let's start with you, Becky. Yeah, you know, uh, to start off, I I did think Walls was going to take this race. I do think he was going to go be going for a second term. The margins definitely shocked me. I mean, we can we'll get into this more across the board, but um, definitely thought it was going to be an under five race. Was surprised with how much he took took it away. Um, I think a lot of that comes to, and I and I'll th- be interested to hear what Michael thinks. A lot of that is um, a lot of people not showing up for Scott Jensen, showing up for some of the other statewide candidates on the Republican side, and and unfortunately just. Not not coming out for for Mr. Jensen. Uh, I would agree with a lot with Buck, what Becky said. Uh, in the interest of disclosure, I did endorse the governor. Uh, I wrote about it on my on my website. Um, Jensen uh, underperformed even what I thought his expectations were for underperforming. Um, I think a lot of people had thought that it was around a five point race. To see it outside of that margins is surprising. I think that the the lack of candidate quality at the top of the ticket impacted all of the races. And Jensen simply simply cratered more than I think a lot of people thought, even even I did. And and I've been a have been a constant critic of both uh, the type of campaign that both Jensen and Burke ran. I think that's reflective in the election results. Uh, there was an opportunity, I think, for a Republican to perform stronger at the top of the ticket. And I think the way that Jensen and Burke ran as a candidate, both how they were staffed, how they were managed, and how they messaged, uh, is likely going to go down in history as one of the worst campaigns uh, for statewide office in modern Republican history. Wow. Uh, that's... That's really going there. You know, now, Michael and I battled a little bit on, on Twitter this weekend about this endorsement, so I'm a little curious to get a little bit more. Obviously, we know that you have been very critical of the Jensen Burke campaign, um, and you just went through a, a number of reasons why. But to actually come out and endorse Governor Walls, um, you know, former former deputy chair of the Republican Party of Minnesota here, decade later, endorsing a governor, uh, DFL governor for his second term. Walk me through that reasoning and how you got there. Well, as I wrote, um, which you can certainly disagree with, uh, I don't consider my voting patterns to be as robotic as they used to be. I look more at the candidate quality. And at the end of the day, a decision on who I want to lead the state is not viewed through partisan blinders. It's about the who's, who's the most qualified candidate. I don't think... In, in in my experience, in my judgment, that Scott Jensen was a qualified candidate to lead the state. He had little or no concrete plans uh, laid out for how he was going to govern. His leadership style that he showed on the campaign was erratic at best. He showed a lack of discipline and focused on, I think, a number of issues solely designed to motivate his base. And what he did is he t- took the Republican brand and drove it right into the ground. Uh, he underperformed Donald Trump in a number of twin cities in, in the metro area counties, which is impressive because a number of Republicans, including myself, believed that the base Republican vote in this state was going to be Donald Trump's ban. And Jensen uh, w- went even below that. And so I think that there were a lot of voters like myself who 
uh, put a lot of thought into the governor's race, decided what they were going to do, and came to the same decision that I did, which is that Jensen was not a qualified candidate to lead. I will also say that one of the problems that Jensen had on the campaign was convincing people that he was a credible candidate for governor. He didn't convince the donor community, and clearly, which is why he was behind so much in fundraising, he didn't convince the outside national groups, which is why they didn't come in and spend like they should have. And obviously, he didn't convince the voters either, which is why he lost so much. What do you think is uh, next in line for Burke? What do you think he'll do next? I was surprised when he did his concession speech, and I don't know if the two of you saw this, but his concession speech he led with, you know, here I am. I went running for, uh, you know, the uh, running with. Uh, Jensen, and <laughs> you'd never think this ticket would be the ticket that would be running because uh, when I met him, I looked over and said, "You know, I'm uh, I'm younger than I'm younger than Jensen, and I'm a lot better looking than Jensen." That was how he be- began his concession speech. So, what do you think is next for Burke? You know, that's a good question. Uh, Burke is young; he's got a young family. Um, I know he did do an interview um, that I was just reading on my way here today that. Uh, it, it was tough. You know, it's tough on the family. It's tough on his, on your spouse and your kids to be away, to be on the road, all of that. So um, I, I think that he is not quite determined if he's going to stay in or pull out of politics. I would, If I was a betting lady right now, I would say we haven't seen the end of him in, in Republican politics. I hope we've seen the end of him in Republican politics. I doubt that we w- I doubt that he will. We have, which is all agree with Becky, but for different reasons. Um you know, yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't give my opinion on that. I was just stating a fact here. <laughs> well, you, so you think you think that he's coming back? I, I think he will be coming back. Uh, I think she's right, and that's unfortunate. Um, you know, I had spent a lot of time over the the last few months talking mostly privately with with people as to how I thought Burke was poorly staffed and managed as a candidate. Obviously, campaigns are about the candidates that are running, and you have to allow them some space to to be themselves and run. Um, I thought. Matt Burke was incredibly underutilized as a statewide ticket. And at one point, I thought about writing more about how he should have been packaged and presented, playing much more to his strengths. Uh, I've decided not to do that because I don't want to do anything to help Matt Burke run for office again. Uh, But my hope is that he spends a lot of time being introspective about why he lost and, and the bad things that that campaign did. I hope he spends time thinking about the opportunity that he squandered uh, and how much of a black hole he and Jensen were on the statewide ticket and how much they hurt other Republicans. I hope he spends time thinking about that. I have found, just in my observations, both Scott Jensen and Matt Burke to be some of the least introspective people that I've ever seen and observed in politics. So I doubt that they'll come to those type of conclusions. But the reality is that a number of Republicans, a number of good Republican candidates lost because of the way those two, those two candidates ran their operation. And I don't know that they have the mental comprehension to understand how badly they hurt other candidates. You know, I know we have a lot of other races to discuss, but one last thing I did want to say about this is um, I come from a communications background. I think one of the biggest failures of this campaign, unfortunately, is the lack of message discipline, and I think that did hurt Republicans up and down the ticket. Um, Republicans had a lot going for us this cycle. I mean, you just look at 
the price of eggs, the price of gas, the crime in the cities. We had a lot of things that are really wrong with this state, with this country, with our communities to run on um, that are largely based on the policies of the Democrats. Um, and we didn't see that. We saw a lot of unforced errors, different things popping up that became the news of the day, which turned into the news of the week and distracted from the overall message. And I think that right there, um, if to have a, a successful statewide candidate, whoever the name is on the ballot, message discipline needs to be there. And that was um, something as as my communications expertise, major failure and um, utterly disappointing for that. Another reason why, if you just listen to her, she's not only the co-host, but she's also the voice of reason uh, on this show. And, and so she did. I think I couldn't agree with her more. Spot on. All right. Let's take on the attorney's general race. Uh, general reaction to the Schultz Ellison AG. I was surprised by this. Uh, in the interest of disclosure, I endorsed Jim Schultz. Jim Schultz was, in fact, the first candidate that I endorsed this this cycle. I voted; he was the only candidate I voted for in the Republican primary. Um, I was very surprised by the the margin and the fact that Sh- that Schultz lost. Uh, I was surprised because he ran a very good campaign. He ran a campaign on substantive issues. There's obviously a debate that is an ongoing debate as to what is the role of the attorney general. Republicans believe that it should be more of a law enforcement office, more, more like the chief law enforcement officer. Democrats and, and a lot of other kind of institutionalists view it as the chief legal officer for the state. Uh, Jim Schultz spent a lot of time talking about crime, public safety. I thought he built a good coalition uh, that could uh, ref, restru- refocus, possibly restructure, uh, the priorities of the attorney general's office in a way that I think is needed in the state. I thought as a Republican that he was a responsible messenger that would be a good partner with an administration that would, aside from performing the role of attorney general, would be good for the Republican brand to see someone out there. But unfortunately, because of the reasons in the governor's race, um, he didn't have that type of opportunity. And the election was close, as was a number of statewide races. And uh, I'm very surprised by the results. But Um, It's just the reality of politics. Completely shocked on my side. I really thought, I think we talked about last week, um, that that Ellison was just this, he was going to be one and done. Um, Republicans were going to take this one. And it's really unfortunate. I think that Schultz did run a really good disciplined campaign. I think he kept his head down. I think he kept focused on the the task at hand. Um, And it's really unfortunate. And I was blown away that uh, when we woke up on, on Wednesday morning that he did not win that. Any general reactions to the Hennepin County attorney race with Freeman not endorsing the candidate that did one win? Mary Moriarty did not win. Uh, I mean, she did win. So tell us uh, what with any general reactions to that. It was a, a race that, you know, a, a colleague of mine had mentioned uh, earlier in the week that that was the race to watch. And I was surprised by his commentary. And he was spot on because what the Hennepin County attorney's race provided the Democrats was an opportunity to drive out the vote uh, to help support their endorsed candidate. I think that that was a very unusual uh, race this cycle in a sense that it's a local race. It's the county attorney race for Hennepin County. But there was a DFL-endorsed candidate in Mary Moriarty. The DFL did a lot to support her and drive up her numbers, uh, both in Minneapolis but in the other parts of Hennepin County. I think it was that hotly contested race particularly the Democrats needing to support their endorsed candidate, was a large reason of why I think it it assisted and was value added to the overall statewide DFL operation that they needed to support their candidates. 
And uh, I think it's in uh, post-election, uh, having a candidate like Mary or Moriarty in there, I think is going to really shake up the dynamic of of the judicial branch, uh, the role of the county attorney's race. I think it's going to be a debate that is going to continue post-election. Um, but the DFL supported their candidate, and she won. All right. Well, I think it was interesting, especially seeing as uh, Freeman has not had very nice things to say about Mary Moriarty either. So that was kind of surprising. All right. Let's talk about the biggest political blunders that you guys saw in this uh, election cycle, the Dems and the Republicans. I mean, what what do you think happened? What's 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 the blunder that each party maybe uh, experienced in this midterm election? Ooh, putting us on the spot here. You know, um, I, I guess I wish I had a perfect answer for this. I think overall the Republicans, um, we were expecting a red wave. There certainly wasn't. So there was something missing. I think that there, whether it was just overall message discipline, um, you know, kind of tying too close to Trump, I guess, might be my my answer there. I think everybody really did think that the Trump folks were going to be here, come out, um, support that Republican um, party ticket. And, and here in the state of Minnesota, we we unfortunately don't have the GOTV, the, the turnout machine that the Democrats do to, to make sure that those folks that maybe showed up for the first time in 16 or 20 actually actually came out and, and showed up at the polls. Um, I think that, yeah, I, I guess I, I'd be interested. That's... I. I think the Democrats, uh, my only criticism against them, uh, and this is in the context of post-election where they won the House, the Senate, and all the constitutional officers, is that maybe they should have played in more races uh, because they clearly had the right message, the right ground game. They also had the right polling and the right information to win in these races. Uh, The blunder, I think, of this election cycle, uh, I've already talked about Jensen and Burke, but to dial down a bit further, I think Jensen's fixation on COVID uh, his continual his spending the time talking about COVID was a huge mistake. Uh, you know, statewide public polling showed that um, that the issues that were that were of most concern to voters, uh, uh, COVID response came in at two percent, right behind. Not sure, uh, but Jensen spent a tremendous amount of time in the last two weeks messaging and focusing on it, and that's the it's what part of the reason why he lost. And he continued to focus on it. And so that would be the blunder that I would assign to the Republicans. And also lack of message discipline. I think, again, Correct. you know, that's what that goes to. And I, I completely agree. Um, I'm interested to think of what here what you think of um, this wasn't just a Minnesota issue, though. Right. Republicans lost nationally. Where, where could you attribute some of that? Of, of how that red wave failed to materialate, materialize <laughs> across the country. I think that Republican, I think what there's one thing that I think also that Republicans miscalculated was how much Democrats were energized on the issue of abortion. I said to some folks on election night that coming into today, there was a general belief amongst pundits and others, particularly Republicans too, is that the Democrats spent way too much time messaging on, on, on the issue of abortion. And if you look at the election results that night, I think it's fair to say that they properly put their foot on the gas when needed to mobilize their, their base and then they pivoted on those messages, uh, particularly in a, in a state like Minnesota. They stuck with it a lot, but they also brought in, you know, Walls at the end of the race was talking about education and, and, and Jensen's lack of spe- specific detailed plan. I'm not, can't, I can't get it out here, but his lack of detail planned on the budget. And so they, they, I think they properly used the issue of abortion to energize their base. Um, and in the kind of pre-election commentary, 
that they spent too much time focused on it, I don't think, I think was actually wrong. And I think this is something we can get into deep in the weeds of issues, you know, when we're not just a week out of the election. Um, But real quick to hit on that abortion thing. I think that this is something that the Republican Party needs to figure out in general. Um, I think if, you know, I I don't want to speak entirely for my generation, but a lot of my friends, a lot of younger Republicans, the social issues are not the issues they're voting on. Um, A lot of the other um, older Republicans, that is exactly what they're voting on. And so you have this kind of party that's stuck in the middle, um, myself and my friends included, who want to be Republican, limited government, fiscal responsibility, personal responsibility, but gay marriage doesn't does it matter? Pro-choice, we support that, you know, having that option. And so I think that this is kind of going to be, you know, we're, we're coming to a come to Jesus moment here with these social issues and really how they're going to play um, in the future of Republican politics. So do you think any GOP candidate could have survived the uh, this blue wave for the Dems? I think the, and I would love to get uh, Becky's thought on this, but I think the, the kind of, kind of backroom kind of gossip leading up to the election day was that had it, Republicans endorsed another statewide candidate that they could have won. And I think that I know I spoke to a couple of people after the election who said, you know, had we had Republicans endorsed maybe Michelle Benson or Kendall Qualls or someone that they they still think that the election results might have been as close as they were, but that it would have helped down ballot. And, and I don't know. Um, I think that's tough to. But I, I do think that it would have been interesting to see this election run with a more responsible candidate and a more professional campaign operation running it to see what the results would have actually been. Yeah, I agree. I, I, you know, with the margins being as large as they were in the governor's race, it is hard to understand how much of that is because of Jensen Burke, how much of that is because of this, you know, quote unquote, blue, blue wave that did end up coming through. Um, full disclosure, I was team Benson early on, um, really think that she is a fantastic candidate and, and would have done well. Um, I think we do need to to look towards other candidates, um, you know, that that maybe represented a different type of Republican. Um, I think Michelle Benson, Kendall Qualls are are both really great candidates. I do really think they would have potentially brought um, Schultz and Wilson over that finish line and have some Republicans take win statewide office. So um, and I think one thing, you know, again, I'll punt to a a further conversation is the the question about the endorsement itself and, and the weight that that has with Republican candidates here in Minnesota. All right, let's uh, let's talk about the future here a little bit. So the Dem- Dems and the trifecta, what will that mean for the upcoming session? I mean, this is really a big change. So what are your thoughts on that? I think they're going to go, I think they're going to push the envelope. I, one of the knocks, um, you know, after, you know, Governor Dayton was elected to two terms. And I was surprised after he was elected and, and in the immediate aftermath of uh, Walls being first elected, the number of times I heard from progressives that they felt that Governor Dayton wasn't as strong as he could have been on the progressive agenda that they wanted. Now that the Democrats have, now that the state has reelected Governor Tim Walls, and there's now a House and Senate majority that is both Democrats, I think that they're going to do more to put forward and push their progressive agenda. Uh, aside from just that overall agenda stuff, I also think there's going to be a possibility of some constitutional amendments that are going to pass. I think there's a a real possibility that, that there's going to be an attempt to codify in the Constitution the right to an abortion uh, in this state. And so I could see a number of uh, of constitutional amendments being put forward. The governor obviously doesn't have a role in Minnesota 
in signing or vetoing constitutional amendments. They're purely passed by the legislature. But I could see the governor and his office being supportive of some of those type of constitutional amendments. I'd like to hear what uh, what Becky thinks. Yeah, absolutely. I think these next two years, um, Dems are going to go balls to the walls on this. I think they're going to go hard. They Waza. have <laughs> they have walls for four years. They have the Senate for four years. Um, they have the House for two years. And so I think that this is an opportunity for for them to really push hard in the next two years. They might then you know the House might flip back in two years, and so then the the remaining two years on on walls and and the Senate's. Um, the terms there, I think they can kind of rein it back in to make sure that they try to keep hold of that uh, Senate majority. So um, I think it's going to be really interesting, especially the dynamics then the 2024 presidential race has um, and and whether Minnesota Republicans, whether we can get a ground game to rival the Democrats and maybe maybe do something else there. But um, I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on Walls. I think he has been, um, you know, a somewhat, while, while we differ, I didn't endorse Governor Walls. I think he has wow. kind of been a little bit moderate here in, in his stances and what he's done. I think there's been a lot of frustration, especially from um, the progressives, the radical left, the environmentalists so on what crowd. he's done. <laughs> so, you're, so you're friends in, in your crowd, right? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but let's talk specific policies that you think, we, as our listeners are uh, tuning in here and listening to the podcast, are there any policies, you two, that are very knowledgeable of what's going on on the Hill? Is there anything that, now that they have the trifecta, that people can look to that may be some changes uh, that would be happening over the next two years? The, the biggest ones, I would say, um, definitely, I think we're, we're going to see some movement on abortion, um, legalizing of marijuana, I believe is going to be a priority there and spending all this money we have. I think there's going to be a big old bonding bill um, to spend all of this money, all of this surplus, get as much out there, put a ton of money into education, all of these areas that are going to make it harder for Republicans to to rein it back in. I think she's spot on. I think she identified the right issues. Uh, I think uh, of those, I think the ones that I think the one that will probably take front and center in some form is probably abortion. All right. Okay, so we uh, have talked a little bit about looking forward, but now let's talk about 2024 and what this means for the state of Minnesota, what this means nationally, uh, this blue wave that we're seeing. What are some of your uh, you know, opinions on what we can expect or what your predictions are for the future? I mean, I think I, I spoke to Politico um, yesterday about what Name needs to— Name drop. Well, I, you know, uh, exactly. <laughs> uh, I spoke to Politico yesterday about what needs to happen to the former president and how— um, you know, there's there's talk right now of, of him likely getting in the race for president. Uh, again, he you know, is picking a fight with the newly reelected governor of Florida, Ron, Ron DeSantis. Uh, I have said that uh, it would be wise for Republicans to break up with Donald Trump and move to the move past him. I think they've made it very difficult to do. I, I think so. Coming into 2024, I think what Republicans are going to have is they're going to have a fight between Donald Trump uh, and Ron DeSantis. Uh, I'm going to give all of the benefit and lead an opportunity to the former president. I think he has a cult-like following in the Republican Party, and it's going to be very difficult for Republicans to break up with him, but they should. You know, I I will say I agree, and I'll expand a little bit. I think that... um that coming out of this election, Trump does not have the platform to stand on. I think he actually literally said, if uh, these Republican candidates I endorsed win, I get to take the credit. If they lose, it's not my fault. Um, I, I'm pretty sure we could find that audio and, and play that right now. But I think that that's something exactly who he is and who he stands for is it's about him and, and not about the larger base. Um, 
I, I recently was, you know, working over at the Republican Party of Minnesota, and a lot of our activists, these people that are out there that are the doers who who we need in our party so much, really, really are Trump supporters. And so I think it is going to be really, really hard to navigate what that looks like, um, especially going to the presidential primary, figuring out who, who gets the points here in Minnesota. And so I think that Trump having the 2020 campaign, having that infrastructure he built up. I mean, I will say it was really impressive and something Minnesota hadn't seen in a while. Um, and so he has that. They have the list. They have the people. They have the bodies. For somebody else to come in and build that here in Minnesota is going to be really tough. Um, DeSantis had a great great night, and I think that he's going to be a voice we're, we're going to hear a lot of. Donald Trump made it very clear when he was last in Minnesota that if he lost the state, he would not come back. So my hope is that for the first time in Donald Trump's life, he actually keeps his word. <laughs> All right. Uh, predictions, though. Will Trump jump in? Becky. Yes. Mike. Unfortunately, yes. He will. You both are on the same team here. That yes. You, we will see. When will he announce that? I mean, he supposedly has well, a big Becky, speech you on would Tuesday. Know. You're a big supporter of the former <laughs> hey, president. Um, hey. Do you have any news? Is there role. any news that you'd like to break here on the podcast about your role in the upcoming uh, Trump campaign <laughs> okay. and any information you have about a potential announcement? I am not on Team Trump. I, I played my role. I did it well. I, I Oh, she did it well. <laughs> hey, I think we did, you know, we did we did it pretty well here. You know, didn't take the state, but I think that, you know, those people that, you know, when you work for a candidate, you got to support your candidate. Um, I, I will say that I voted for him one of the two elections that he ran, but not both. So uh, we'll give that. However, he has said... He is going to uh, make an announcement next week. I am surprised he didn't have take it the opportunity uh, Tuesday morning or um, to do it on Tuesday to get in every single election story that there was. Um, now we probably know why. Maybe they saw something we didn't see, but um, I, I would think it would be early next week. I would, I would agree. For not the same reasons that she laid out, I would agree with her. I think it's going to be sometime in the next next week, you said? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about Now the, I'm going to get all the Trump haters. I know. I know. I was thinking that. Let's talk about the tweet of the week. If you're not currently following Michael or Becky, uh, you de- definitely need to follow them. It's It's been quite interesting. It's been fun to see even Matt Burke jump in uh, to Michael and say, I'm not going away, basically, he said in one of the tweets in the last couple of days. So if people haven't followed you, first of all, uh, tell them where they can follow you on Twitter. I'm at, at M. Broadcorp. At M Broadcorb. That's a B on the end. Do you want to? Do you want to spell At that? B R O D K O R B. You might want to write that down. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and mine is Allery R L. It's A L E R Y R L. Um, you know, just getting back into the Twitter world and enjoying sparring with my my co-host here. All right. So, uh, tweet of the week. I'm going to change it up. I know we discussed mean tweet. So this is a. I'm calling an audible right now. I'm going to call out Brian Strasser, who said to me, he tweeted me on election, and he said. You were right from the start, and you took heat for it. And I thanked him. And so we're going to flip it up a little bit. I'm going to go positive tweet, and I'm going to thank Brian Strasser on air. All right. Becky. There you go. Hey, I think that's great. You know, I think you get a lot of heat for, for the criticism. It's tough to be in that position. I, I'm just wading into it a little bit myself. And but. as someone who's been criticized by you re- uh, online and on social media, I appreciate you saying that. Yes. Um, mine is going to be by Jim Prammel. Uh, he just wrote, I could put MSNBC on the background and get the same stuff. Not denying that might be true. I would like to think that we're maybe a little bit more entertaining and you don't have to see our faces. So. Wait, he was talking about us on the air? Yeah. How dare he? Wow. 
All right, <laughs> Becky, Michael, this has been very engaging and entertaining, especially post uh, midterm elections uh, we appreciate all of you that uh, have found this podcast you can find it any place where you actually do get your podcast but Michael you also are going to be posting the podcast on your personal pages is that right absolutely and we're going to be up on those platforms here in the next weeks or so Perfect. And if you have any ideas, something you would like to hear uh, from Michael or Becky, certainly reach out. They just gave you their Twitter uh, accounts, or you can find Michael on Facebook. Michael's just about everywhere, and so is Becky. Do you want to share where people can uh, reach out to the two of you if they have something they'd like you to take on? Uh, I'm at uh, michaelbroadcorp.com. That's my website for all your tips, hate mail, everything can come in that way. Becky. Just, just send it to me on Twitter if you got any good remarks I can give to either of these two. Uh, try to up my game a little bit. My my DMs are open. All right. Well, thank you once again for joining us on the Broadcorp Report. It's been enjoyable, and you will hear us back here next week. I am the moderator, Todd Walker. And remember, listen in to the Broadcorp Report.